by Thursday, I was starting to feel uh, better and could stomach eating some things other than 7-Up and saltine crackers and soup. Uh, and so um, I do appreciate that. And uh, so uh, the sermon that I planned on preaching last Sunday, I'm going to preach today. So, uh, so we'll uh, catch up. And, and I want to, uh, I've titled this morning's message, Living and Loving for You. Uh, it is a wonderful thing to be a part of the family of God, isn't it? To know that, you know, um, the family that we have, uh, you know, our physical family, sometimes, you know, we, some of them we can take and some of them we could just soon leave. Uh, but we still love them. Uh, but our church family, we chose them. Uh, and where, but where would any of us be without our church family? As much as we love our, our family family, our church family should be just as much, if not more, a part of our life and who we are. Not that we become cultish and close ourselves off to uh, the outside world. That's not what I'm saying. But we need to understand that our witness and, and the things that Christ has done for us he doesn't do it just so for us. So we can say, hey, look, look what God's done for me. And we could spend today, you know, the rest of the time we have until lunchtime sharing about the good things that God has done in all of our lives. But every good thing that God has done in your life, he has a reason for doing it. And the reason is not to make you feel good. The reason is to take that blessing and share it. God gives us and leads us and directs us, not for our benefit, but so that we can accomplish the task that he has for us. And so this morning we're going to talk about how we accomplish that. So look at with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 12 through 18. It says, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What a a great reminder as Paul is wrapping up uh, this very practical letter to the church at Thessalonica. He gives a lot of seemingly disconnected instructions. And by the way, this list that he gives, beginning in verse 2, they're written not as suggestions, but as commands. They're imperatives. Paul is saying, listen... He uses 
in our English Bibles the word urge, but it's a, a mother's urge. You all know what I mean, don't you? Uh, that it's not optional. If, if you want to be happy and you want to avoid uh, mama's wrath, she can urge you to do so. You, you'd better do it. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, listen, if you want to, to know how to live the life God intends for you to, here are some things that you have to do. He says, there are, there's some work to it. And you know that the Christian life is one of work. And we are not saved by works. We're saved by faith, aren't we? Not of works, Paul says in Ephesians 2. But because we are saved, there's some work to be done. And it's work that's different. And so, I want us to talk about that work this morning. The first thing that he mentions is the work of leaders says that we are to recognize those who labor among us and who are over us in the Lord and who admonish us. Paul's talking about Christianly pastors and deacons in our uh, church uh, hierarchy system, if you will. That the, the men that God has placed and raised up to, to lead us because we need leaders, don't we? For anything to get done, we need leaders. And so Paul says, those that are laboring among you for the Lord, honor not that you put the pastor or the deacons on pedestals. None of us are perfect, especially your pastor, your deacons. They're not perfect. Just ask our wives. They'll let you know real quick. No, they're not perfect. We're not to, to put on this, you know, bow down, kiss the ring of... But that we are to have respect and honor to pray for them. We're to listen to them. We're to hear them. We're to follow their example. We're to speak highly of them. And notice what he says, not for their sake, but for the Lord's sake and their work's sake. So that, you know, a lot of people, you know, will on Sunday afternoon have roast pastor or roast deacon for lunch. Say, oh, what a terrible job that pastor did and, you know... You know, he didn't do this, he didn't do that. You notice his tie didn't match his shirt, and which, you know, probably you say that a lot about me because most of the time they probably don't. But if people hear that, and we're talking bad about our church and about our pastor, why would anybody want to come? I wouldn't want to come to a church where... People talk bad about the church and about their leaders. Not that we expect them to be perfect or that we just ignore their faults or that we don't hold them accountable. But in public, especially, we praise the good things about our church and about our leaders. 
leadership is a difficult task. You think about all of us do have influence on all of us act as leaders in some sphere of our life. But those that God has placed in the leadership, especially of his church, have a mighty big responsibility, don't they? All of us know, you know, just running your household is working itself, isn't it? But pastors and deacons don't just have to worry about their house. They have to worry about your house and your house and your house and the house across the street and the lost people down the street and, you know, our cousin's brother's wife's cousin seven times removed. That, you know, when they stub their toe, we want, they want the pastor uh, to come and pray for, you know. And so that's a lot of responsibility, just humanly speaking. But more importantly, the Bible says that God holds those who are in leadership doubly accountable for what God has called them to do and for how they have uh, done the ministry that God... So God has raised up men who he has called and equipped to lead God's people. He's always done that, hasn't he? Think about Moses in the Old Testament and his brother Aaron that that God gave him to be his spokesman because Moses came up with all kinds of excuses why he couldn't do it. And yet God said, you know what, Moses, you're probably not the most qualified person, but you're the one I'm choosing. And so God takes those that he chooses and equips them. Well, part of the equipping is the Holy Spirit, but part of it is those that God puts the leaders over. And so leaders are called especially to to work and to care and to admonish us. There to be examples. There to correct us when we need correcting. There are people that we should be comfortable going to for uh, advice. Uh, There are people that we should be comfortable going to and saying, hey, listen, would you pray with me about whatever the situation might be? And know that they will actually pray. We all need, and we need to thank God for the leaders that God has put not only in our church, but the church at, at large. Uh, men and women that God has, has raised up and, and helped equip us to be better servants uh, for him. But then he goes on, and he spends the rest of these verses talking about believers in general. And so then we find that's the second point. First, we see the work of the leaders. And then the work of believers. All of us has some tasks and some things that God expects us to do. And the point that Paul is trying to make to us this morning and to the Thessalonica church is when God comes into your life, it makes a difference. So act like it. If you're a child of God, behave like it and act like it. Don't hide who you are. You remember Jesus said in the Gospels, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And so he said, listen, we 
say to you, listen, be at peace among yourselves. Those who are among you, warn those who are unruly, those that are not living the Christian life, those that are straying off the path, (coughs) warn them, be concerned about them. Don't say, well, they make their own decisions. Not my problem. And child of God, if they're a brother or sister in the Lord, it is your problem. And maybe God has put you in their path to say, hey, listen, you, you need to make a course correction and not do it in a, in a haughty way or in a better than thou or a holier than thou way, but in love. Comfort the faint-hearted. Those who are hurting. The truth of the matter is we all hurt. There are times when we have difficulties in our life. It's those times when we need other people to come around us and to hold us up. But if we've not been there for others, how dare we expect them to be there for us? The Bible says the best way to have some friends is to be one, doesn't it? He said, uphold those who are ill. Care for those that that are sickly. And he's talking there not only about physical sickness. We need to pray for one another when we when there's sickness. And in fact, Bible in the Old and the New Testament talks about that, praying for, for those that are ill. We need to pray for those that are spiritually sick, those who are backslidden, those who are lost. To, to lift them up, to show that, hey, listen, we care about you. Say, hey, listen, I know you're struggling, and I'm here for you. And then he says, be patient with them. In other words, don't just write them off, which all of us are prone to do. And then he gives, he starts it with a negative. He says, don't repay evil for evil. I want to remind us of something before I say what I'm going to say, is that Paul's not writing to lost people when he says that. He's writing, and these instructions are to the church. It's to those who are saved. But Paul also understands that sometimes those of us that are saved sometimes put our sanctification on hold and we get worldly, don't we? And we get mean. And we get bitter and we sometimes fight. That doesn't honor the Lord, by the way, when we behave that way. The world says if somebody does you wrong, do wrong twice as bad back to them and... It's excusable. They did it to you first. Paul says, listen, 
just because somebody does you wrong does not give you the right to do wrong. What did your mama say? Do two wrongs make a right? The Lord says that to us too. And so he said, don't repay evil for evil. Rejoice. Pray. Give thanks. The thing that Paul's wrapping, we can, all these things that he's talking about, do you notice something about it? The instruction is to us, but the benefit is not to us, is it? All of these things are actions to others. I think we miss that sometimes. The Christian life is not one of isolation. It's not all about me. It's not about Aaron, you put your name in there. It's about God and Him alone. And Paul says, hey, listen, this is one of the the great teaching, one of the ways we know that God intends for us to be a part of the body of Christ. That we don't just do the things like praying and reading our Bible and those kind of spiritual disciplines that we all know that we ought to be practicing and growing in. But we can't do those things by ourselves. We can't do it in isolation. What I mean by that is the Christian life, if we try and we just do it alone, Say, well, I don't need to go to church. I don't need a Sunday school class. I don't need a pastor. I don't need other believers. I'm just going to stay. I can pray at home, read my Bible at home, I can watch TV, you know, get preachers and Sunday school classes on television or on the YouTube. So, why do I need, why do you need church? Well, you need church because the church needs you. And because God says we need one another. The Christian life is one of community, not of isolation. And so it is not insignificant that Paul gives us all of these commands, all of these instructions. Say, listen, it matters how you behave toward others. And so be kind. Pray. Pray for others and with others. Exhort others. Lift others up. Help them. Endure. Be a comforting shoulder. Bake that casserole or that pound cake when somebody's lost a loved one. Why? Because when we do those things, it's not really, it's not about us. And ultimately, it's not even about the people that we're, we do those things toward. Ultimately, it's about the Lord, isn't it? If someone is straying from the Lord, and I go and I say, brother, 
you know, I'm concerned about you and I'm praying for you and I know that you're not doing, you know, living for the Lord and it grieves me and it grieves the Lord. And, and I sure would like to pray with you, you know, and help you and, uh, you know, get on, back on the right track. Hopefully that other person will get back on the right track. And that's good for them. It's good for me too, isn't it? Because I've gained a, and built a friendship and a relationship. But how much more it is in that one of the Lord's children's come home and gotten right back on the right path. And again, can be used by the Lord. Kind of like one of my favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life. We watch it every Christmas. You probably do too. It's on, uh, you know, I think one channel you know, plays it on Christmas Eve about... 24 hours. If you've never seen it, it's a story about a man who said, you know what, it'd be better if I was never born. And the biggest chunk of the movie takes place, and it shows us that when George Bailey is not born, it doesn't just affect George Bailey. And it doesn't just affect George Bailey's brothers and sisters. It affected the entire town, didn't it? And so we need to remember we are part of one another. And then Paul, I want to lastly remind us, not only is there the work of leaders and the work of believers, but lastly I want us to see there's the work of Christ. Now Jesus is not mentioned much, in fact just once in these verses. But Paul says this in uh, verse 8. He said, Do these things because it is the plan of God in Christ Jesus for you. So Christ is at work in us as we hold others accountable when we you know, revere our leaders and we pray for them and we, we hold them in respect and we Uh, work for the Lord and we exhort one another and we warn one another and we are comfort one another and are there for one another. The Lord's in the midst. And in fact, we better know at the outset the Christian life is impossible without the Lord being in the midst of it. You cannot possibly live a life that honors God You cannot possibly say you love God and that you're living for God. And the only time you ever talk to him is when something's gone wrong or on the occasional Sunday when you might roll into church. God expects us to live for him always, 24-7. Even when we're not here at church. It's easier, there's sometimes I guess it could be hard to be a good Christian when we're in these walls. We're all singing good spiritual songs and praying and hugging each other and shaking hands and amening. It's usually pretty easy. But again, Paul reminds us it's still, we have to be careful and intentional even in the walls of a church building. But where the rubber meets the road is when we leave. 
when 12 o'clock comes. And we've said our last amen and we're on our way to, you know, the Dairy Queen for a Sunday on Sunday or wherever it might be that we eat uh, our lunch. Maybe mom's made us some pot roast in the crock pot and we're on our way home for that. How we live the rest of the hours, the hours that we're not here, says so much more about our relationship with the Lord than the one hour that we are here together says about the Lord. Now, does that does it say something that you showed up to church? Yeah, it says something. But what you do this afternoon and what you do tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday speak a lot more about the Lord and your life. So what part does Christ have in that? Well, he says, listen, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The work of Christ is he makes us one. The Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And the new creation that God has made us, Part of that new creation is he's put us together with other believers. He not only paid the way for our salvation, and made it possible for us to be made new. He works to make us new. And he's constantly renewing us and making us more and more like him. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says that God um, predestined us to be made in the image of Christ. In other words, God's plan for us is to look exactly like Jesus. If you were here during the month of December, Tiffany and Lauren both have birthdays that month. Pictures, you know, they got birthday pictures on the screen. And there are a couple of Tiffany pictures that look a mighty lot like Lauren pictures. Why? Because Lauren is Tiffany's daughter. Yes, she has some of David in her. But she's got a lot of Tiffany in her too. And as much as there may be days, I don't think there are many, but there may be a day occasionally in, or in the future when you know, uh, Lauren's just had enough of mom, say, you know, in her mom ways. I don't want to be your daughter anymore. Can't imagine her saying that. but She could say it all she wants, but would she stop looking like her? Nope. She dye her hair, you know, purple. Her hair color wouldn't match. Uh oh, I gave her an idea. Sorry. Maybe she dye it blue and orange for Auburn. Uh, in the back. But no matter what she does, she's still a chafing. She's still David and uh, Tiffany's daughter. 
And she has that DNA inside of her, and nothing she can do. She can say, well, I'm not going to be, you know, now there are people saying, I'm not going to be a man or a woman anymore. I'm going to decide I'm going to be something different. You can't change your DNA. It's your DNA. And our spiritual DNA through what Christ did for us identifies us with him. And when we have Christ's DNA in us, it affects how we behave, not just how we look. Lauren has mannerisms. Some of the things she says, some of the jokes she tells reminds me so much of David. It's crazy. And if I didn't hear her voice and know it was her speaking, I'd say that was something David said. Why? She spent 18 years with these folks. She got her DNA from these folks. And so she can't help it. Well, do you see the same is true with our spiritual DNA and our spiritual life? Christ is the greatest example, and he's the one that we follow. We want to know how, if something's right or wrong, what did Jesus say about it? A lot of times religious leaders and others went to Jesus to try to trick him up or look for an out of a way they didn't have to do something. Jesus didn't cooperate, though, most of the time. He did say, though, when they said, listen, how are we going to pay our tax? You know, do we have to pay our taxes? And you remember Jesus said, Whose name, whose picture is on that money? He said, render under Caesar what Caesar's. In other words, we have to pay our taxes. And God, you remember, made the way for the disciples to pay their taxes by providing a pearl. We see that the work of Christ, not only does Christ save us, but he binds us together. And the more and more that we become like him, the more and more we're exhorting others and we're praying for others. We're rejoicing with others. We're helping others. Being compassionate toward others. Why? Well, the answer is because that's what Jesus Did Jesus call people to account? Absolutely he did. He wasn't a mild-mannered, just meek little shepherd. A poor carpenter. He would call people on some things when they needed to be called on. But when he did, he did it in love. And he did it for the purpose of restoration and rebuilding relationships and community. What does that have to do with us? Well, church, I want to suggest it has an awful lot to do with us because it reminds us that this life is not about us, that we are called to live and love for Christ. Not for me, not for my neighbor, but for Christ.
But when I do that, it necessarily makes me interact with other people. It makes me. Why? I guarantee there were times when Jesus wanted to just get alone. There's times when he wanted to say, listen, these people are stupid. And I know we're not supposed to say that S word anymore. These people are more, you know, what, what were we thinking, Father, when we made this putz? Uh, can we just start over? I guarantee you he, he, he wants to say that about me. And chances are he wants to say it about you too. But he doesn't. Why? Because he loves us. And he's patient with us. How many times have we asked the Lord to forgive us of something, and he does, and then maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a year, maybe a decade's gone by, and we're back to the Lord asking forgiveness for the same thing. No, sorry, you've used that up, sorry. No. He is gracious and loving and merciful. And that is what he calls us to be as well. But we cannot do it. We cannot do the work that God has called you to as leaders and that God has called us to as believers without the work of Christ. And the more the work of Christ works in us, the more we're able to do the work of the believer that Paul's challenged us with. So I hope God will encourage us and challenge us. Paul reminds us, hey, listen, it's not hard to know what we're supposed to, how we live the Christian life. Paul tell, he lists some things pretty specifically. The hard part is doing it. But Paul reminds us that, listen, As we do it, even when it's hard, even when we don't really want to, we're doing what God wants for us to do. We're being the man, we're being the woman that God created us to be. And there's no greater uh, fulfillment in this life. Living and loving, not for ourselves, but for the Lord, changes everything. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word and how it challenges us. Thank you that you are a loving, gracious, merciful God. And Lord, we pray today that if there's one here today that doesn't know you, they've never trusted you, they've never received that great gift that you purchased on the cross of Calvary, today might be the day that they receive that gift. They would acknowledge their sin and believe that, that you paid their price for them and confess you as Lord. Lord, maybe there's one of your children here today and they've been slacking. Maybe they've been backsliding. Maybe it's been a slow drift. Maybe it's been intentional. Maybe it's been accidental. But Lord, you're calling them today to come back home to you to say, Lord, forgive me and restore to me the joy of your salvation. Lord, if there's one here today that needs that's their prayer, would you help them today? Just come back to you. 
Lord, help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to take these instructions that Paul gave us by your inspiration and apply them, Lord, to remember that we're part of one another, that we are the body of Christ. Help us to behave like it. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and we're going to sing a hymn of invitation.